Wildfires are terrible. But according to the Bible, it's not nearly as more deadly as that member that's in your mouth today, the tongue. If you could turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 3. The book of James in chapter 3. For Canada, the summer of 2023 is shaping up to be one of the, if not the worst, wildfire seasons we've had up to date. Four million hect acres have hectares already burned by June 6th, surpassing the annual totals for every year already going back to 2016. A government forecast suggests this will continue to be a severe year, and less rain should come. However, back in 1950, the beginning of what some people thought was the end of the world started on June 2nd, 1950, almost exactly, uh, well, 50, 23, a long time from now, with a small wildfire in the northeast corner of British Columbia. It had been an exceptionally hot spring and forest fires. 1950, who was, that doesn't matter. 1950 is, happens to be one of the worst and the largest wildfires in world history. Where it happened right here in Canada. It had been an exceptionally hot spring and forest fire managers were too busy with other fires in BC and Alberta and the southern Yukon to do anything about a blaze that was remote and so far away from human settlement. The policy back then was to ignore fires that were 15 kilometers or more away from roads or human settlements. So if it was further than 15 kilometers, they were not to deal with that one, they would deal with the other ones first. So, within a few days, the fire that had started up in northern British Columbia had crossed over into Alberta's, um, into Alberta's wildlands, Shinshaga Wildlands. This was fueled by a, a tinder dry forest that seemingly went on forever. The relatively small blaze developed into a wildfire of such monstrous proportions that the thickness of the smoke led some people in Ontario to believe that an atomic bomb had exploded and that the Western world was at war with Russia. 1950, there wasn't, we didn't have the internet and things back then to uh, social media. What is that smoke up there? People were just left to wonder, are we under attack? Aircraft were grounded. Farmers milked their cows earlier in the morning. Chickens went to roost, and the U.S. Air Force postponed a search for a missing plane in order to help with this fire. The blaze burned for 222 days and torched a stretch of forest that was some 245 kilometers long. It was and still is to this day the biggest forest fire to hit Canada in, in these times that we have to date. More than 14,000 square kilometers of forest went up in flames from just this one fire. Smoke from the fire could be detected as far away as Great Britain and Holland. The heat was so intense, 
in spots that it changed the chemistry of the soil to where even to this day certain trees cannot even be grown in the soil in the certain parts of Alberta. Wildfires are awful things. I don't need to stay on this topic for very long. We know the devastation of it around. There was just a fire, I think it was yesterday the day before in Maple Ridge, uh, an apartment complex that went up. You may have seen that fires is something a lot of us have experienced with closely, and it's not something any of us want to deal with. You know what's more devastating than a wildfire of this proportion? Here in James chapter 3, look in verse 5. James chapter 3, verse 5. The Bible says, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Wildfires are terrible, but according to the Bible, it's not nearly as more deadly as that member that's in your mouth today, the tongue. It is the tongue that has caused all of the wars that we have encountered. And much of the sin, and much of the sin we are affected by each and every, uh, each uh, today and each day to come by what takes place by our tongue, by our speech. And today we need to learn to control that tongue that's in our mouth. Every one of us here can learn a thing or two from James chapter 3 today. And the first thing that James wants us to do when it comes to controlling our tongue, and the first reason he gives us to control our tongue is to hold back pride in our life. To hold back pride in our life. Look at verse number one. The Bible says, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. To hold back pride in our life. The word master here, it says here in verse 1, be not many masters. This masters is also translated in the Pauline epistles as the word teacher. Be not many teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. The concept here in verse 1 is that we are not to lord ourselves over others with our wisdom of words or our understanding. Though we may have good things to say from time to time, and we all have good things to say. Many of us have, are much older. We've been there. We've done that. Many of you that have raised children, you know a thing or two about raising children. And most of us have some good advice to say and sound advice, but the sentiment is, not, is to not be so quick as to offer our advice and seek always to persuade others to our liking. Perhaps you've met people like this. They just can't lose an argument. They have to win. They have to persuade you on their side. Even if it's a completely subjective matter that really doesn't matter in life. I have, growing up, I have an uncle who I, I loved to argue with. 
And they were mostly silly arguments. Most of the time they meant nothing. And we both knew this. And we both desperately tried to persuade the other person why, why we like this color better than that color. Or why these shoes are better than these shoes. Or why uh, this particular item is better than this item. And we both knew that the end result mattered nothing. But we just liked trying to argue with each other. But there are people in life who take this to the other extreme. And everything in life has to be their own way. And we need to be careful with our tongue in this matter. One commentator adds this, Do not give yourself the air of teachers, imposers, and judges, but rather speak with the humility and spirit of learners. Do not censure one another as if all must be brought to your standard. Humility. It takes humility sometimes to just step back and to stop talking, even when you know you're right. Now, if we're talking about a matter of blasphemy of the scriptures or someone's attacking the deity of Christ, this is a different conversation. But in general things, it takes humility at times to just be quiet. This principle is especially difficult when the subject of discussion is one that you are quite fond of or very experienced in. The urge and desire to speak your mind and your opinion is strong at times, but not always necessary. Especially if the subject is subjective. It doesn't warrant your strong, persuasive opinion. And believe me, there are topics that I find that I myself have a keen interest in. There are topics I am passionate about, as I'm sure we all have these topics from time to time. There are topics I have strong convictions in. Growing up, I grew up in a very heavy sports family. All my family, extended family, extended family's family I've never heard of before. Everybody in my family, sports and baseball and basketball are two. And we get on the phone with my parents, I go home to visit and we like to get into discussions about who's this and who's that. And today I have a, a favorite team. And when I hear someone talking about basketball, I just, I, I, my body just gravitates. I, I can't help it. It's something I enjoy doing. However, I'm thankful over the years that that passion has slowly died away. Because I'm beginning more and more to realize just how insignificant it really is. Do I still watch? Do I still care? I do. There are other topics that I have strong convictions about. And just so I don't get off the right track, I won't even say what the titles are. I'll save that for another time. Things that I feel very strongly about, I feel are biblical principles that people need to, to observe and to... I don't want to get off on it. But even with topics that I deeply am convicted about, unless we are talking about, like I said, heresy, there, there are times where we need to learn that it's not, not everybody needs to hear my opinion all the time. It's okay sometimes to sit back and listen to someone else talk. Listen to their opinion. We must learn to hold our tongue at bay in order to keep that pride out of our lives. I say, when do I know when to speak and when do I know when to hold back? Well, this is where God comes in. God's wisdom. The more and closer you get to God, the more you learn, I don't need to butt in here. I have a really good opinion and a great story for this, but maybe, perhaps maybe now's not the time. To learn to sometimes to hold back will help us with the pride 
in our life. But not only are we to hold our tongue, to, to control our tongue, to hold back this pride in our life that can set in, but also, secondly, to keep us perfected in Christ. And this is what I want us to focus on today. To keep us perfected in Christ. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. And able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that we may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships, which, though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeneth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things." James here in verses 2 gives us this analogy that if somebody, look what it says in verse 2, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. If you can learn to control your tongue, what kind of person you could be in life. Like the, the rudder on a ship. You've seen these big, massive ships before. And if you were to observe the, the rear of the, these ships, there's a rudder, and it doesn't look very big. Some of them go deep, deep down. But the rudder, compared to the size of the ship, it's so small. Yet it's that little rudder that turns that entire ship. My, uh, I, uh, my son Titus and I, we like to watch shark documentaries. He just he likes sharks. I don't like the ones where you know, like people are in danger, but just to learn about the sharks. And uh, something I've, I've noticed about, uh, I've been taught about sharks is you know that, that dorsal fin, that fin that is at the top of the shark, that fin that, that when it pierces through the top of the water, everyone gets scared, and you can hear the, the Jaws music in your head, perhaps. The, the, the fin we never want to see. If a shark didn't have that, that little dorsal fin, and some sharks' dorsal fins are quite small. They're, they're, uh, they're tall enough to pierce through the water and scare us, but a shark, if it didn't have that dorsal fin, that shark wouldn't be able to turn left and right very quickly at all. It would, take, it would be very short turns. It wouldn't be very intimidating. In fact, maybe humans would prefer uh, sharks with no dorsal fin, perhaps. The dorsal fin also, if it, was, if it didn't exist, if a shark tried to turn too fast, the shark would actually just start rolling. It would just start spinning uncontrollably. It wouldn't know, and it wouldn't have that, that fin to stop it from, it basically keeps it going straight and helps it to turn. There are so many examples I can give where a small member, where a small item can control something so large. Airplanes need rudders. And yet here we are in our bodies. The little tongue, that tongue, how much of it it controls our life. How much it controls the actions that we do and, and the way people perceive us. The Bible says here, if we can learn to control this, the same is a perfect man. Now we know perfect doesn't mean sinless perfection. The word perfect simply means complete. The idea is spiritual maturity over sinless perfection. But if one can learn to control that tongue in our mouth, we can find ourselves complete 
in our walk with the Lord. This person is looked upon as a truly sincere and a faithful man if we can just learn to control that tongue in our mouth. Parents can learn to control their anger when children get on their nerves. Speaking from personal experience myself, I know that I have caused my parents when I was a kid to lose, to, uh, to wish they could take back some, some words from their tongue or even just the, the volume that they use. We all can look back on our life and think to ourselves, if only I hadn't said that. If only I could just take that back. But we know that you can't. Turn with me in your Bibles here, and we're going to come back to James, but look at Psalm chapter 141. Psalm 141. Psalm 141. And uh, we're going to look at verse 3. The Bible is full, and I just only have a few here for you, but it's full of examples of how a wise person will learn to control their tongue. Look at Psalm 141 in verse 3. The Bible says, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. This is a prayer we should be saying more often. Lord, I don't know what's going to happen to me today. I don't know what scenario I'm going to get myself into. I don't know at work if something's going to happen or my children or on the bus or if I'm driving and someone cuts me off. Oh, I don't know. But God, today, would you guard my lips? Would you keep the door of my lips? Would you watch, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth? Would you help me control this tongue? Even if you're here today, you don't, you're not really known for the person that has anger issues. You know? Maybe you don't have that problem. Maybe you're not really one to, to lash out. It just takes one phrase, one word, to ruin a lifetime of a reputation. God, protect my lips. Turn with me, if you will, to the next book over, to Proverbs chapter 15. Look at Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1. We have another example here of us keeping our, our tongue, allowing us to perfect ourselves in Christ. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. You know how hard it is to give a soft answer sometimes when... The context is grievous. Verse 2 says, The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. Verse 4 says, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. Look at chapter 16 and verse 24. Chapter 16 and verse 24. Just the next uh, chapter over, it says, uh, verse 24 says, Pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Look at chapter 17 and verse 27. Proverbs 17, 27. It says, He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Even a fool, verse 28, 
Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. What is this? these verses saying? If you can learn to control your lips, you're a man of knowledge and understanding. You have maturity, even if you're known for being a fool. And there's an instance in a scenario where everybody sees that you hold back what you really want to say. Oh, I'm proud of that guy. He held his tongue there. Even a fool, when he holds his peace, is counted wise. There is something to be learned about just holding back and not speaking when you, need, when you feel like you need to. Look at this last one here. Look at Proverbs 21, verse 23. There's so many more we could read. Proverbs 21, 23. In fact, Proverbs 21, 23. Let's all read this together if we can. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Man, like I said, we can go on and on. There are verses in the New Testament. Matthew 15, 11 says, Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Did you catch that? Not what goes in your mouth, uh, that's not what's, what you hear, what you perceive, that's not what's bad, but it's what you let out. That's what you got to watch out for. Ephesians 4, 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Colossians 4, 6, Let your speech be always with grace. Season with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. I'll stop there. There's so many more verses on the power and the importance of controlling that tongue of yours. We need to learn how to do so. James is urging us to control our tongue so that we can uh, hold back pride in our life, that we can keep us perfected in Christ. That's what it's saying here in uh, James chapter 2. We're back in our uh, chapter 3. And what we read here in verse 2, it says, For in many things we offend all, but if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. Do you struggle today with controlling your tongue? From time to time, perhaps? You know, sometimes... The actually every time before you speak, you have to think it first, right? And it's hard sometimes to stop the thought from coming out. And really, what we should be saying is, Lord, help me to even stop thinking the thought. Because if you don't think it, you're not going to say it. Lord, when I'm driving and someone cuts me off, but Lord, if I don't get angry in the first place, if I just don't care in the first place, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to be thinking bad thoughts in my head. It starts from here in the mind, but God, help us to protect that tongue of ours. To keep us perfected in Christ and from pride and welling up in our life, but also in verse 6, we need to control our tongue to help us protect others around us. To protect others around us. James chapter 3, look in verse 6. It says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Look at verse 7. For every kind of beasts 
and of the birds, and of the serpents, and of the things in the sea, is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. It's pretty amazing. God has given mankind the ability to have control over the earth, right? We have dominion over the earth. And we've been able to tame some of the the wildest of beasts. We've been able to go into the oceans and fish and catch, and uh, even biologists are trying to help restore life with certain uh, animals and trying to uh, be careful how we treat this and be careful how we treat that. We've been able, in a sense, to tame the animals of our world, but nobody has figured out how to tame that tongue of ours. The smartest, wisest of person at any moment could say something that will ruin their life. We have the people in charge of our nation and our country, and it just takes them to say one thing, one thing the wrong way, and who knows, we could be at war. We have to be so careful with our tongue, and no one's figured out how to properly tame our tongue. I suppose you can cut it out. But that's not taming it. The Bible recognizes here, God recognizes that is full of deadly poison. And we must be careful how our tongue affects other people. A fire blazes through a forest and it destroys everything in its path, especially a bad fire. You know, one of the most underrated causes of a wildfire may not be what you think. And there's lots of things that take place. There's precipitation, you know, humidity. There's the, uh, the temperature, of course. There's uh, it also depends on where the fire happens and, and how it happens. But one of the worst things that firefighters just dread the most is the wind. When the wind picks up, that's how fires get out of control very, very quickly. In fact, there have been reports there's lots of controlled fires. You know, sometimes they start fires on purpose for purification for different reasons. And when an unexpected wind can pick up, that's how a controlled fire can get out of control really quick. The wind can, uh, let's see here, the wind can be many times stronger, even a light wind, if it's light here on the ground surface, up above in the atmosphere, the wind can be raging at a much faster speed and can carry embers and smoke further than we could ever imagine. Wind greatly influences both direction and rate of speed. Many times, when a, if you were to just start a fire without wind, the fire would, would grow real slow, but in a nice circular fashion. That's what, uh, that's what controlled, uh, people who start fires and try to control it, that's what they're hoping for. They're trying to slowly let it grow out in a circle, but when the wind kicks in, it starts moving in a direction at a much greater speed, whichever way the, the wind is, is pushing. A general rule if the wind speed doubles, then the rate of the fire will, will almost quadruple. Without wind, on, on, without wind on level ground, the fire will burn slowly, but when that wind kicks in... And what am I trying to say? Sometimes we can say something, and sometimes it may not have much effect. You could say something negative to somebody, and maybe they're, they're mature enough, it, it kind of, they brush it off. Maybe you say something sarcastic on accident, and... Uh, you know, maybe it might, it might hurt someone's feelings, but they, they quickly come up to you and they say, hey, you said this to me and I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say it that way. I apologize. And, 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 and the fire goes out. 
But sometimes you say something at the wrong time, and the wind catches it, and it spreads. And you didn't mean for it to happen. It was an accidental spark. Maybe you did mean for it to happen. As a Christian, as a child of God, I trust that we don't ever mean to start a fire with our words. And sometimes it just takes that moment of weakness when something is said and the devil starts blowing on it. He, starts, he sees an opportunity and he gets the wind and he starts blowing it. And it burns out of control. Be careful with our words. I don't think sometimes, I think sometimes we forget just how powerful our, our voice truly is. We don't have time to go to these, these uh, passages, but you remember the story of, do you remember a guy named Jonadab? Anybody remember that guy? In the Bible. Talking about in the Bible. I don't know if you have a friend named Jonadab. I wouldn't recommend naming your, your child Jonadab. Uh, if you know somebody named Jonadab, it's okay. But uh, here in the scripture, one of King David's sons, Amnon, had a really bad issue. He, he had a stepsister that he, he liked. And he went to his friend, Jonadab, and said, Jonadab, what do I do? Uh, how, do I get this, how do I get rid of this feeling? I, I sh- she's my stepsister. It shouldn't be this way. And Jonadab said, Jonadab conjures up a plan for him to end up, well, raping his sister. Was that good advice? Was that good words for Jonadab to do? You know what? Jonadab's words ended up in Ammon's death. He ended up getting murdered for that, for that horrible sin. Words can affect a person. Do you remember King Solomon's son, Rehoboam? He had advice from the young guys and advice from the old guys. And one of his buddies came up to him and said, man, don't listen to those old guys. I know they know twice as much as we do, and they've been here and they've done that, but come on. We know some new things that they don't. Don't listen to them. You need to do this and this. You need to tax the people harder than your father did. And Well, he listened to the advice of his friend, and it didn't just affect Rehoboam. It affected the entire nation of Israel for hundreds and hundreds of years to come. The nation was split in two, and it never recovered from this. The words of one man, Jonadab, killed his friend. The words of some friends ended up splitting an entire nation for hundreds and hundreds of years. But we could go back to Genesis chapter 3. The words of a serpent to a young lady named Eve. What were those words? Think about one phrase, one sentence that can alter the course of humanity. <laughs> Literally. So we say that phrase haphazardly, oh, it altered the course of humanity. Can you imagine a perfect Adam and a perfect Eve? And Lucifer comes by and says, did God say you shouldn't eat of that tree? No, no, no. God doesn't want you to eat that tree because if you do, you're going to be like God. Eve listens and the powerful words of just one little story, it wasn't a little story, but it how it altered the course of history. You just never know. And we forget sometimes the power of our voice. As parents, we forget the power of voice over our children. And children, you forget the power of your voice to your parents and to your other friends as well at school. And teenagers, you forget the influence you have amongst each other. 
Imagine how, we, how this world would be if we just learned to say less things from time to time. Do you know what Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2 says? This is Solomon writing. Solomon had just messed his life up, and he's trying to get it back in order, and he's trying to give some extra advice. So in Ecclesiastes 5, 2, Solomon says, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. But get this. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. One of Solomon's biggest problems, apparently, was that he spoke too much. And Solomon said, if I would have just learned to cut back on some of the things I said, I may not have gotten into the trouble I got myself into. I mean, imagine if we said less. Imagine the the wars that wouldn't be around, the civil wars, the fighting Imagine how words have affected, I mean, thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people over the years through wars. Got to learn to control that tongue. And James ends it here in verse 9. We're giving us our final reason to learn to control our tongue. It's to simply, verse 9, to prevent hypocrisy. To prevent hypocrisy. That's what he says. Look at verse 9. It says, Therewith, bless we God, even the Father, And therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. That doesn't make sense. So we bless God, but we curse those that God made. Verse 10, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same time, at the same place, sweet water and bitter? Can the, fig tree, can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. There's hypocrisy that takes place. Out of our mouth, one instance, we're shouting out blessings and how much we love God, and then you go home and you're doing the opposite. Hypocrisy. Learning to... Hold our tongue can help us with this problem of hypocrisy. Look at this last verse I want you to see. It's actually in James. Look at chapter 1 and verse 26. James chapter 1 and verse 26. He says here in verse 26, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own hearts, This man's religion is vain. James is saying here, if you, on the outside, seem to be religious, you're a good person, but you're something else on the inside, you can't learn to bridle your tongue, you have a vain religion. In other words, your religion is not real. Your faith, your, your, what you say, what your, your, Religion before God, your faith before God, it's, it's fake. Hypocrisy, hypocrisy is just another way of saying lying. You're living a lie. If you say one thing, but you really do something else. How many times do parents tell their kids to live a certain way, but they don't even themselves do it? God, do as I say, not as I do. You've heard that before. That's not a good motto to live by. We tell our kids they shouldn't watch certain things or listen to certain things or do certain things. But when they're in bed at night, 
we watch those things and we do those things and it's hypocrisy. We come to church, sound spiritual to others, but we go home and, and live a different way. Perhaps your coworkers wouldn't even believe that you were a Christian. I don't know. It's time for us just to examine ourselves and to ask ourselves, do I have a vain religion? Am I deceiving myself into thinking that I'm okay? There's much more that we could discuss here when it comes to this concept of the tongue. But I think James lays it out for us pretty simply here today. We need to control our tongue to, first of all, hold back pride in our life. Hold back that pride. Also to keep us perfected in Christ. We also need to hold our tongue to help us protect others around us. And also we need, it, we need to learn to control our tongue to prevent hypocrisy from building up in our own life. Are you controlling the tongue that God has given you today? Are you using it for Him? Or is there some work that needs to be done as we consider the tongue that's in our mouth today? If you could stand with me now as we pray into the Lord. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.